Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Food for Thought, a <laughs> podcast gab fest where in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex, sex. identity, culture, <laughs> what we like to read, and who we like to read. Food for Thought category is chaotic bottom and do fuck it up. Thank you. <laughs> 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 oh, speaking of chaotic up. bottom, aren't two of our four thoughts having bowel issues today? You know, we actually don't oh, have to go there. We don't. <laughs> this is, uh, this is literally the introduction you. is like the, 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 the grossest, absolute grossest part of our show. Because, you know, as we're listening yeah. to some of the shit that we recorded in the studio that I totally forgot about, I was just like, how are oh, we no. such foul mouth whores oh, for the first five minutes of the yeah. show and we get into some pretty deep stuff in the main discussion always but if you were to judge this show based on the intro alone you would think we're the most depraved people Im- on earth <laughs> yeah immediately we're just yeah. trying to make off. sure that but you look you set the bar with like cock pasta <laughs> or whatever okay you, you encourage your fault and, i was and being clever and gay. then y'all took that and made it gross semenakeke <laughs> All I know is, bitch, you live in the gutter with us. That is true. You that pull true. us deeper into it. That is true. Yeah. Uh, I am Tommy Teebs Pico, indigenous American poet, screenwriter, TV writer, and oh my God, the Zoloft hit, and I am good. Like, I am good. Antide- <laughs> Serotonin is quite literally one hell of a drug. It is one hell of a drug. Wow, Teebs. I'm so happy for you. Happy Teebs is weirding me out, I have to say. I am I- Joseph... I Go. smiled at a stranger's dog yesterday. I cannot like it is. You've been in LA for too long. <laughs> bitch, you need to come back home. I'm getting the along fuck? with children. That's like no. I no. think they're the most special like, things on earth. I'm just wow. like, oh my god, protect these things. I'm I cannot. <laughs> Who don't know? are you? I don't know. I am Zoloft. I am serotonin. Hello. <laughs> Wow. Well, I'm Fran. I'm a writer, editor, and uh, my emodium just hit. So I'm good. Similar to your Zoloft, my emodium is chilling. Okay. Works uh, maybe even a little too well, I might say. It's unsettled. I'm Joseph Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer. And y'all, this is just a reminder to pre-order my book, which, by the way, newsflash, Judith Butler just called Queer Pedagogy at its best. Judith Butler, everybody. Judith Butler. Oh, that's amazing. Wow, that's such I a huge deal. So hard. They they <laughs> truly oh. put the butt in Butler. If listen, if they listen to this show, they will absolutely retract the endorsement. I They're know. not going to listen to the show, Joe. Oh, thank God. Listen, even the greats fall asleep at the wheel once in a while. Hi, everyone. <laughs> 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 Wow. That was savage. I am Dun Michelle Norris, and I'm a reader, a writer, a former figure skater, and quite simply, I am 
Lay tired. I need a nap. Lay tired? Wait, are you are you the tired, la tired, or lay tired? Lou tired. Lay because I am all of the tired, <laughs> and I'm so tired I don't even want to get laid. Wow. Mm. I also love this joke, I am lay tired, which is I think from 2007. <laughs> oh, no, before. Before. I think, or yeah, perhaps even earlier. Only because I was saying it in high but school and I was not in high school in 2007. It is an ancient reference. Mm. Speaking <laughs> of an ancient reference, Joe, do you have the menu? God, I do. We start as always, well, not as always, as often with a nightlife edition of Swipe Left, Swipe Right, because tonight our show is all about going out and getting groovy, dancing on the queer dance floor, and we end as always with a nice little bite. Mm. Do we have a Do we have a yum, yum, yum. No. <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. <laughs> Chaotic bottom. Keep this in, Alex. I want everyone to see behind the curtain. I want everyone I want everyone to know how unprepared we are and how we kill it regardless. Buck, 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 be guck. I'm feeling kind of peckish. I think it's time we start the top of the show the way any good top should, with a little tease, our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Boosh. And to amuse our booshes, it's, I guess, Joe, because you're the only one who did any work on this episode. It's reparations, y'all. It's I don't reparations. Have to it. It's right here in the dock. Fran, why don't you do it? I feel like you'll throw in some good ones. Yeah? Okay, okay. All right, so we are playing a little game that I definitely wrote myself. I did all of the work. Um, and uh, we're going to do some little nightlife swipe right, swipe lefts. Starting with swipe right, swipe left, cocaine. <laughs> uh, you know, I actually, I'm going to have to swipe left on that because I've literally never tried cocaine before. Same. That same. is stupid. You're all <laughs> fucking losers. D, have you tried cocaine? So I tried <laughs> cocaine once in a bathroom at a pride party Ooh. with two literary thoughts who will not be named on record. But the point is, I started a whole bunch of cocaine off of a key and I felt nothing. Oh. Nothing. So it was probably not very left. good coke. <laughs> or it was baby Maybe powder. It was, it it was baby powder. It was all baking right. soda. <laughs> so I can't wait for our cocaine episode where we're all going to do like a line <laughs> and then record an episode. It's going to be so fun. Really good. Set a really good example for the kids. Um, okay. Swipe right, swipe left. Poppers in the clear. I am a poppers in the club evangelist. Mm-hmm. Uh, love it. It is like, because I don't do cocaine because I don't like getting stuck in the drug. And with uppers at the end of the night, I can't go to sleep until like midday the next day. And it is just like mm. so stressful. So, like, I feel like poppers give me that same euphoric hit. And I enjoy it for like two minutes and I can go back to that place, but I don't get stuck in it. Love it. I love how communal they are as well. If you bring out your poppers on the dance floor, everyone's like, ooh, can I have, can I have? And you make like yeah. new friends and you can like make out with them and everyone's doing poppers. It's so fun. Um, yeah, it's yeah. so fun to be generous with poppers. Yeah. I'm going to swipe left because bitch, I ain't in no club. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to say. 
<laughs> the whole point of pop, like I just why in the club? I'm not. I'm not getting fucked in the club. So I mean, it's it's not just for sex, right? It's like it is a good drug yeah, exactly. for sex, but even just like with friends laughing, it just like it, it kind of gives you this head high, this body high that it just makes you giggle and like be silly with each other. There's this amazing essay that I taught to my students this um, semester at Columbia. I think it's called. Um, giving cis girls poppers in gay bars or some such. Um, We'll link to it in the show notes that totally exist. Um, (laughs) uh, And it's phenomenal. It's just sort of about this communal experience and being able to help people lose themselves and enjoy one another. And it's like, it really doesn't have to be just about sex. Poppers, I love them for sex, but it's not just a sex drug. I think poppers are better on the dance floor than during sex. I actually think that sometimes during sex, they throw off your body systems Mm. and get you in your head and like sometimes it hits wrong and like I don't know I think one of my most transcendent moments was like being with a bunch of friends at a kind of bad party and we all did poppers like the second that a Pokemon theme song remix (laughs) hit and we were all just like floating being like oh my god um yeah even though poppers are like you know social culturally like literally one of the stupidest things that we do as gay people Ooh, I will. Uh, I, I will always swipe right on a jal- on a jalapeno popper in the club. That oh, is, that I will do. Not in the uh. club. Um, you have one, Teams. I was gonna say swipe right, swipe left, Molly. Good question. I like the feeling, but I, d- I can't go to sleep afterwards, so I don't tend to do it because it's like I really don't need to be up until noon the next day. Spiraling. I, for some reason, have no trouble going to bed after taking Molly. It's totally crazy. I love Molly. I wish I honestly had more opportunities to do it. I feel like I only do it when I go out dancing, and I just, I actually don't really go out dancing really? that much. Mm, I go yeah. out to see drag. I go out to mm. see my friends. You know, I might I go really to a party, that. but I go to, like, talk, not really to dance. Interesting. I feel like Molly was so displaced by ketamine in, like, the nightlife. It was like Molly is, like, 2012 and ketamine's like, 2022. Yeah. yeah, which I think ketamine is so stupid. Swipe right, swipe left, ketamine. <laughs> I've never done it! I'm such a... You've never done ketamine? I've never done, I've never done, it, done it. it. That's so gross about gay culture. Maybe like, you've never done this rare horse <laughs> tranquilizer? <laughs> I'm actually I'm actually just surprised that I haven't yet been prescribed ketamine as an antidepressant. Okay, for the next thought retreat, Joe and Alex are going to do K. Me and yes. Teebs are going to do coke. Oh, no. I'm going to do Molly because I've never done Molly. You're going to do yeah, all Den's of them. Do Molly. Then, Den. Yeah, Den's going to do Molly. Yeah, Den's going to do because we know Den is the only one that can actually handle it. Yeah. Literally, Den True. is the only one True. that is completely unfazed by any kind of drug or protuberance. Just can, like, anything. handle anything. By anything. Yeah. Any life yeah. event. Any, you know, yeah. global political, <laughs> co- like, conflict. D is just floating yeah. through it all. Yeah, she's, a, <laughs> like, a sexy little cockroach. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, we, I, we, I just trying to think of something that would be less offensive than a cockroach. But what are the things don't die? Twinkies? Probably. Um, yeah. What yeah. survives like nuclear warfare? Den is a sexy little red bottom Twinkie. Yeah. <laughs> I'll full take of it. cream. She's full of cream, y'all. Um. Yes, she is. Swipe right, swipe left. Disco, as in balls. <laughs> I love disco balls. There's one right, right there in my house. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, I love the like the 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 magic. It's just like some dumb mirrors on a dumb ball, and then you shine a light at it. But it does something like really special 
to the space. It, it's like it's like mm. it's like carbonation for a room. I, I I like that they do call them mirror balls in um, mm-hmm. the UK, mm. and also in Taylor Swift's album, I think Folklore, or is it? It's, it's Evermore, I believe. Actually, there um, was one time I got really high and I listened to. Um, uh, what's that Rihanna song? Shine bright like a diamond. And yeah. I was like, mm. they're beautiful like diamonds in the sky. And I was like, oh, she's talking about a disco ball. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God. I've never thought about that. That's oh my such God. a good high realization. <laughs> There's so also smart. a really good um, You're Wrong About episode about, you know, the um, the disco sucks movement mm-hmm. and how the disco ball was invented, which was like basically in some guy's apartment. Um, I can't remember his name. He was like some famed nightlife personality who used to have these parties in like his warehouse apartment and he had this disco ball that would like light the entire party and like a queer people would come all the time because it was like dimly lit and they felt like they could be themselves. And then apparently like the actual disco movement took the disco ball from this guy and wow. like didn't credit him or something. And I, here I am not even remembering his name. <laughs> Oops. Um, I'll, maybe we'll put it in the show notes. Just kidding. We don't do show notes. <laughs> um, Does any show do show notes? I listened to some other podcast the other day and it was like, find this in the show notes. I could not find the show notes. Here's the thing, ladies. Show notes are for people that have vast teams and yeah. systems of organizing their podcasts mm-hmm. and spreadsheets and like, you know, constant communication about the pod. And that's just not where we are. That's not anymore. what we do. No. Now that I smoke weed, um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the podcast is no longer held accountable to abhorrent um, levels of organization. Um, so you don't get any show notes. <laughs> um, swipe right, swipe left, disco the music. So gay. Swipe right. I love, I love disco. Love disco. So much. It's, it's One of like the back. effects of Zoloft has been like, as soon as music comes on, my body starts dancing. I don't have any control over it. And man, disco is fucking fun. <laughs> yeah. It just moves your body. I will say, my one little <clears throat> note is like, I'm a little kind of over like, alt pop stars making these like alt pop Mm, albums that mm. are quote unquote disco inspired. Mm -hmm, You know what I mm -hmm. mean? Like love Dua Lipa, love Jessie Ware, like love like these kind of like disco-y movements that are coming through in pop. But like just make a fucking disco album, you cowards. Like just (laughs) literally like love it, like love Jessie Ware, but like it's not cutting it. I need Mm. full string Mm. ensembles. I need like Mm -hmm. the deepest fartiest bass <laughs> that you can find. I want people <laughs> clapping. I want to hear, like, actual hands clapping. You I know what I mean? I think this might be the only co- compliment I have for Madonna, and it was that the last thing that I ever liked that she did was Confessions on a Dance Floor, because she really committed to disco in that album. Yeah, mm-hmm. she yeah. did. Mm-hmm. I will say, I miss New York Nightlife a lot, but LA Nightlife, the one thing I like is that it ends nice and early. That like is her, too. Last night I was at I was at the club and like the party shut down at eleven fifty-five. And I was like, that's right, pack it up, everybody. Let's go. Let's go back to fucking bed. Everyone get your asses in bed right the fuck now. Like I do love that. <laughs> that's a nightlife I could get behind. Because y'all know I don't go nowhere. 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 Well, Joe, do you want to intro this discussion then? 
Yeah, I would love to. So, y'all, Fran suggested this topic to me, and I immediately jumped on board because I had just had a traumatic experience. I miss nightlife so much. I miss the dance floor. My partner loves to dance. We love to go out together. And he had bought tickets to a battle hymn because one of our favorite DJs was playing, Eli Escobar. Uh, We had bought the tickets like weeks ahead of time, and Devin was insisting it was a Sunday night, but work was off on Monday. And he was like insisting we get there at like 9 p.m. to get inside because the line is apparently really bad. And we did get there really early. His friend actually got there at 9, and we joined closer to 10. And the, the line was like around the block and not moving. And it kept being shouted like, there's one line, there's one line, there's one line. But then I go up to the front just to see what's happening. And the the only people getting into the club were the people skipping the line in the VIP. And I got really angry. You know, it's like cold out. We're all freezing our asses off. We all bought tickets. And it's like these little scene queens feel like they can roll up in their SUV and get inside. And that's just like, to me, not what nightlife is about. I feel like one of the things that that I love about queer nightlife is it spaces where people mix uh, and and you run into people you're not expecting to and you meet random people and you kind of bump you bump into things and, and people in places you might not get used to. Even when we got inside, we went to like find a little spot where we could dance and someone like pushed us and said, excuse me, this is VIP. This is our table. No like rope up, no nothing. And it just felt like the the space was so policed that you couldn't actually dance. There was no no space to actually meet people or have fun. And so I was like feeling so angry and disappointed that this thing that I had missed so much, I I was really hoping that we would come back to queer nightlife, especially because in the rhetoric of this, everyone in the pandemonium has been like, queer nightlife is so important community and we have to make it more just and we have to make it better. And it's just seemed to me that when I go out after the pandemic, it is all of the things that were bad about it from before are actually worse. And it's like taken this space that I love and kind of turned me off from going to these type of parties where they have like really amazing DJs and really amazing sound systems, really great music where you can before like do poppers on the dance floor and meet people and have fun. So I'm just wondering to stop my fucking rant. What how are you all feeling about the pandemic and if it's changed your relationship to like gay spaces like bars, clubs, etc. As that was a really great intro, Joe. And mm-hmm. like as a, an aficionado for nightlife, especially New York nightlife, I must say that if you're looking for a nice, great, supportive party, don't go to fucking battle. Him. That's what uh, I, I know. I know. That's what everyone what told I mean, me afterward. Like, but you, I, I guess but it's <laughs> but it's still emblematic of something. I, I think it's that I hadn't been in so many years, not only because of the pandemic, but I had gone to battle him when it sort of first started and it was like kind of weirdo weirdo fags. Like people would get up in costumes and it was never yeah. really that crowded. And so yeah. I remember it being more of a space full of weirdos. And then I was I was I ranting about it. And one of my friends was like, what did you expect? Battle him is Equinox with a dance floor. And I was like, mm. oh. and, <laughs> well, that's the thing is like a lot of these parties get kind of um. I guess gentrified. Yeah. Um, like the a lot of parties, you know, start with something that's 
do either like really um, championing like a, a certain marginalized audience, really championing people of color, really championing like trans people, or it's like right. definitely like empowered by like club kids. Like usually good nightlife starts with subculture. Yeah. And then as soon as the sub subculture kind of make it really good and then maybe make it a little popular, that's when it starts to get overtaken by the uns uns harness gaze. Mm. And I think that is kind of what's happened to something like a battle hymn um, or something like there are a lot of other you know examples of like parties uh, not in New York that that happens too I don't I I, I, it's funny I was thinking about this because I was like I'm not gonna have anything to say because I don't participate in nightlife the way that y'all might but then I realized that like I did go out at night I just didn't go to like dance parties I went to like punk shows and I mm. went to like, you know what I mean? I in queer punk was really important to me and going mm. to queer punk dance parties and queer punk parties and shit like that in Brooklyn. Cause I tried doing like the Manhattan thing and I'm, you know, that bar splash, it was shit like that where I was oh, like, what is this shit? I hate this place. I feel invisible. Like uh, I, this isn't, I, I'm desirable. I need to go to a place where I feel that way. And it's reflected in the place that I go. And fucking mm. queer punk was that to me. And like, like once I started also like advancing in my literary career, it was like doing all of those weird variety shows and like, mm. po- like I started off doing poetry, but like, you know, I make the poetry fun. And so I started getting on bills with people like River Ramirez and Larry Owens and Joel Kim Booster and Matt Rogers and Bowen Yang and like Julio Torres and all of those people. And like, I kind of got to like in this weird, like subset of, Nightlight, like specifically Brooklyn sort of comedy variety, Cola Scola, like people did skits and like sketches and comedy and poetry. And it was just a weird, interesting thing. And they were all a little bit younger than me, but it was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I'm in the like, you know, that's what I would do. That's where I would go. That's where I would go hang out. Do you miss that, Teams? Absolutely. But I also like... uh, because it seems like that to me there was like an activity there was a thing to do but I was also performing you know and mm. I just I missed that like I did it like multiple times a week I felt so incredibly um visible valuable desired and also like I was doing my thing like I was on stage with people and that was so mm. important to me and I missed that so much I went to one event I had one reading in December early December in in Los Angeles and I was so grateful for that because I got to like do my thing again and get witnessed by a room full of people who didn't know who I was. And it was so fucking cool. And that I, I don't have anything like that in Los Angeles, you know, like I really felt a part of something in Brooklyn and I don't feel a part of anything except, you know, money. <laughs> I will say, mm-hmm. I mean, quickly, good riddance to fucking splash. That place I loved blows. that place. Ew, Joe, no. <laughs> don't do that to yourself. I loved that place. I'm pretty sure I've already told this story the story on the pod about how I got kicked out of Splash on their 18 plus yes. night because I had a flask in my in my like, you know, butt pocket. Um yes. not realizing that the concept of like people buying you drinks. Um <laughs> I like never in a million years would have thought that someone would buy me a drink. But I also was it was my it was literally the first gay bar I ever went to. But I think it's really emblematic of a really toxic environment that I would just, you know, become exposed to over and over again. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But Teebs, like, honestly, when we decided to do this topic, I actually felt like you would have the most to say, because I feel like we've had a lot of conversations about how nightlife spaces. I'm thinking about, honestly, our Kevin Spacey episode. Um, 
and the I can't remember what it's like one of our best episodes. I can't remember what it's called, but it was it was about like consent in gay spaces. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we talked so much about you know dissociating at the club and like feeling really unsafe in gay male environments and and how those are really like hard spaces for you to be in and often me to be in. You know, depending on what the vibe is. Yeah, I mean, there there's so much of it seems caught up in a kind of vanity that I could never get behind. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to like I I went to like when I went to dance parties, it was like. Like these weird queer dance parties in Brooklyn in like weird warehouse spaces or in somebody's fucking loft in McKibben or something like that. You know what I mean? Or like rooftop shows and shit like that. Like that's what I love to do. But it felt like uh, weird, but it was weird, weirder and queerer. And then I, I kind of noticed as I as I got older, that scene kind of also got taken over yep. and became wider. And, and 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 it was still punk, but it was just like the the new waves of people coming in. It didn't mm. seem like were it, it it was gentrified. I think. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know what it looks like now because I haven't been in so many years. But like, I, I remember the point at which I felt like I was ebbing away, ebbing away from that and going further into these like weird like variety show nights and stuff yeah. like that. And and it was like, and it was like a lot of weird queerdos. And I was like, oh, of course we wouldn't go to fucking the club. Like, we would never feel affirmed there. We would never feel our people there. And I got to meet so many people, so many awesome comedians and writers and, and shit like who are getting their flowers now. And it's really exciting to see all of those people kind of come up in the world. Yeah. I feel like the thing that pisses me, like capitalism, capitalism is going to capitalism, right? Mm-hmm. These club promoters are in it to make money. And one of the ways you make money is by charging people extra for VIP or getting seamy people in there. A friend of mine explained it to me that like, if you can make they make the line miserable on purpose so that you will want to pay to not have to be in the line. So the fact that depending you have to, on what it is, right. Yeah. You know, and I'm just like, well, that is like but my problem is the hypocrisy that you have basically all nightlife spaces out there saying we're about a safe space. We're about the queer community. We're about this and that. It's sort of like they've learned the language of social justice, but not the practice of social justice. And that shit pisses me off when you're mm. using the language of justice to 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 like fucking make money and that's all it is and there's no actual traction on like well what would a just nightlife nightlife space look like you're actually just making the poor people miserable so that people who can afford to pay more so that you make more money that's not woke that's not i mean we hate the word woke, but that's not just, that's not a, a inclusive nightlife space. And so it's just, it's that, that really just like beyond, you know, being miserable in the line, these people are on Instagram and other places talking about how amazing they are for changing the game in nightlife. And it's so much more inclusive and so much more safe when it's actually just the same old game. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And also like, People who have very different ty- body types, I think, do not feel that way and have never felt that way. Like, like even even if a space is more inclusive of different races or things like that, there's a lot of different people who don't feel that way for a lot of reasons. And it's just funny because you said you said a just nightlife space, and I came so close to like spitting out my latte because <laughs> I was like that that like even conceptually that doesn't <clears throat> make sense to me in my brain. And I like for me, so much of that is why I have not partaken much in nightlife. And it only it only started to change like once I did move to New York and I had like a really solid core group of queer friends where I felt like I could go into these spaces and know that for me it was a safe space because I was surrounded by friends who Mm -hmm. like 
loved me and would just never like I would I I wouldn't not I wouldn't feel so invisible most of the time. Um but it's interesting because now that we've had this, you know, all this time away, I'm actually really sort of excited to maybe dive into it again a little bit mm. this summer. And I think a lot of that has to do with being trans and feeling like these things that made me feel so invisible in these spaces and so unsafe in these spaces um, are now, like, I'm saying it loud and with my chest, mm. right? And so, like, how does that change going out for me when before it was like, okay, this is how, like, I feel sexy or I feel cute or whatever when, I, when I'm when i femme, but I'm not in a space where that's really okay. Mm. So now it feels like it might be a little different and I'm just really excited to kind of um, try it out. So I guess we'll see. But also, I'm old and I get tired. So. Yeah, Fuck yeah, that's what I'm that talking part. about. <laughs> You know, um, as the, I'm going to be the fierce <coughs> defender of nightlife as someone who, you know, all my friends and fam are in nightlife. Like I produce my own parties in New York and like soon in L.A. And like it's something that has given me a lot of life. And I do think that all the things we're talking about are like really legitimate critiques of nightlife and things that are hard to engage with sometimes. I do tend to find that people that say they just don't like parties point blank period probably had some really bad first impressions Mm -hmm. and have yet to find the nightlife space that is for them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times when we're looking for like, you know, a nightlife that isn't a battle hymn, usually the thing that we're looking for is hard to find on purpose. You know, Mm -hmm. like the, it, it belongs to a subculture or a kind of underground nightlife that is trying to keep itself secret so it doesn't get gentrified. And, you know, Joe, I I do empathize with a lot of the things that you were sounding off about, about, um, justice kind of oriented nightlife spaces. I, I think that a lot of like gay bars are (laughs) coming under fire for saying they're inclusive and then their doorman is like being extremely transphobic or whatever. Like, I feel like I'm constantly seeing stories about that Mm -hmm. and that to me is like so like legit like figuring out how to train and orient your entire staff and every part of your Mm -hmm. process Mm -hmm. to make it inclusive is what's important not the talk Mm -hmm. you know what i mean the instagram graphic that says you're this inclusive or whatever like Mm -hmm. it's complete bullshit um however i do think a lot of your grievances are the fault of capitalism and gentrification and not Mm -hmm. the fault of a lot of these party promoters themselves Mm -hmm. like we are they ultimately are trying to just make something as good as it can be and of course people are going to ruin that to some extent but everything gets ruined like oh my god so you know you can't fault nightlife for that you know i think that if your party was ruined by some bad behavior Mm. of the people at the party, um, that's kind of their fault, you know? And Mm. I, I feel like it's, yes, it is like nightlife's jobs to orient those spaces. But if you have a thousand people in there, there's only so much you can do, you know? Yeah. Um, And I think that price points Mm -hmm. are definitely a very interesting discussion, but again, it's like, it's, it's, they have to make money, otherwise it can't exist. And so it all comes down to like how evenly that is distributed mm-hmm. and where they're putting in their resources. Because I feel like 
my the people that I know and love and respect in nightlife are paying drag queens and talent and and hosts way more than nightlife mm-hmm. standard which mm-hmm. is amazing because like working for like $50 a night or working for $100 a night is just it's not a livable wage mm-hmm. especially in like singles you know what i mean um and so to see a lot of nightlife reinvest in nightlife talent is really impactful mm-hmm. or when you see you know nightlife kind of donating i guess to like certain orgs or like partnering with certain organizations like um kind of um, mutual aid funds or things like that. I think that's when it it gets really good. Yeah. But nightlife's still figuring it out. That's for fucking sure. Yeah. I mean, I I I look. I agree with you that you know capitalism puts people in a bind all the time, and you can't throw a party if you don't at least pay people and make money. Um, I do think that there are more just and less just ways to do that. And to me, the notion of slicing up the space into people who can pay more for access to the back room or to VIP or whatever is just so yeah. intuitively counter to like the the possibility and joy of b- bumping into people. I mean, literally, you're there, you, you may be altered, you know, you might actually find unexpected connections that if you're just cloistered off behind a rope um, being more important than people in Instagram storying, you're sort of cutting yourself off from that possibility. And I do think that, you know, if you've watched the Jewel Catch One documentary, I don't remember what it's on, uh, but the the Catch One was a club, Jewel's Catch One was a club in LA that literally funded a health clinic downstairs. You know what I mean? Um, and I think like Poppy Juice does a really amazing job at um, you know, try, trying to make just parties that are affordable mm-hmm. for people that prioritize the communities they come from. I don't go to Poppy Juice anymore because I don't want to be that white guy at Poppy Juice. It's been a huge issue, mm-hmm. you know? So it's like, it, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to pretend like there aren't people who are, are are taking issues of like what a just nightlife space could look like. I think there are people doing it. And I, I think that makes it even more frustrating when other people use that same language but don't actually have any of the follow through. A lot Can- of people like to borrow poppy juice language to be mm-hmm. honest i've seen a lot of them in here in la where it's like we're inclusive we're like uh, if you're not if you're transphobic or anti-black get the fuck out and then you get there and it's literally just like white guys in harnesses exactly like, <laughs> what, like is, what what is going on can what? we can we talk about nightlife and age yeah Oof. Mm. because Oof. the last time like when i was really a part of like some kind of scene or whatever that was in my early 30s, and then I moved to L.A., and then the pandemic took two years of my life, and now I'm looking at the later part of my 30s. La- the other night, I went out to a bar f- to get interviewed by The Atlantic for Reservation Dogs, Ooh. and I like I was like, every last person in here is definitely younger than me. Mm. <gasps> you know what I mean? In that way that's like, Wait, before the I was all your I was your age. I was your mm-hmm. age the last time I did this stuff. Mm-hmm. What's going on? And that not have and and also just and not just that I, I feel like in COVID in particular, like the last two years is, you know, it's aged me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, are do, when they're talking about this is an inclusive space? Is it? I mean. I don't know, like, it, it, by virtue of the fact that, like, just m- more people my age are not doing the same things. They're not going mm-hmm. to the parties anymore. They have families. They have lives. They have homes. They have jobs. They have whatever. Whatever it is that they have that they didn't have before that allowed them for a little bit more freedom or whatever. Like, h- how do you see, like, nightlife aging? I, uh, as the oldest thought here, uh, one of the things I love about queerness it, it, at least as I as I imagine it, is that I want to be seventy at the, on the dance floor. 
Like, I, I do think that we have models and possibility in our community for not aging out of nightlife in the way that straight people have to. Uh, and allowing nightlife to be a space of of finding pleasure, of finding community, of enjoying yourself. And that you'd never age out of wanting to enjoy yourself. And if nightlife is one way to do that, it's not immature to be 60 at the club. And, you know, I, I have a distinct memory of being – do you remember Sugarland? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Sugarland. I was at Sugarland's, and I, it, was a, it was a bar in Brooklyn that shut down maybe 2012 or so. Um, but there was, like, a 70-year-old dude there having the time of her life. And it made me so happy to see. You know what I mean? So I always wanted to be that fag. <laughs> That's, I, I do not. Um, or I used to not. I, I used to not want to be that one. But... Um, I don't know. <laughs> I've been thinking, um, I keep thinking to that episode of And Just Like That when Carrie and Seema are trying to go to the club. Oh and God. I'm like, that's going to be me at that age. And hopefully I look that damn good at that point. Um, oh my God. But yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it and I was like, there just doesn't have to be any judgment about this because everyone should have the right to go out and dance at least once in a while. Like that's what it, is like that's what it comes down to like at at a certain point you want to go out and do all the things and then you get to a certain age and you're like i just want to dance and feel sexy in some stilettos and a short dress because i have the legs for it um (laughs) which is like very much how i feel and i've bought the dresses for it i have a lot of very sexy very short wonderful dresses that i cannot wait to wear to the club this summer d we're going out i'm taking you out we're going dancing yeah, let go. us please go dancing. It's going to be super fun. Also, I went to $2, I think, what, $2 bill, I think is what it's called $3 last summer. Bill. $3, $3 bill. Oh, duh, $3 bill. That was really, that was a fun place. It was the Robin Day. Anyway, that's off topic. The point is, um, I, I think we should at all ages be able to go. And personally, I kind of wish maybe there was a cutoff on the youth. Um, <laughs> yes, like, seriously. Like, actually, a up club? actually... That a no kids allowed club where it's no like you allowed. can't come unless you're older than like 27. No, ki- mm-hmm. no kids and no Broadway boys. Uh, yeah, no, no theater gays. No theater no gays. Disney bags. No, no, I have no problem with that. Either. So, so Ariana Grande can't come. <laughs> Fine with that. Can I ask another Kenya question? And I will be recreating yeah, yeah, yeah. her another ponytail question. anyway. I have another question for the group, and that is, um, you know, the, I wouldn't say the elephant in the room, but that bitch who won't shut up, COVID, and (laughs) nightlife, and how you Mm -hmm. experience it differently now. Because, like, I currently, at the moment, do not feel comfortable going indoors. Mm -hmm. I haven't been indoors without a mask around a lot of other people in literally two years. So how how are you rediscovering nightlife and how are, are, are you are you taking precautions? Are you not? Like what is what does the landscape look like to you now? It's shots and shots, baby. The vaccine shots and shots of tequila to get over my fucking anxiety. Yeah. Shots yeah. and shots yeah. and shots and shots. It's I mean, I was in I was out um on Sunday to meet a friend. We met at Stonewall, uh, and it was for this event, and so it was like a club, and it was like the upstairs was packed and like I looked up the NYC data before and the NYC data are really good and they were still checking vaccine cards, which is amazing. Um, and like logically I knew I was pretty safe, but we were both like, Oh my God, it's so packed in here. This is fucking anxiety producing like crazy. This person is breathing on me. (gasps) So it's an adjustment. Yeah. I had the same thing. I actually went to hardware, um, 
last Friday night, Hardware in Hell's Kitchen, after I went to see um, Hassan Minaj with my really good friend from college, and we just wanted one more drink. So we like went to Hardware, and I definitely almost had a panic attack. And I was like, I uh, I was like, is this the moment that I get COVID? I've managed somehow mm-hmm. to avoid this thing for the last two years. Like, is this the moment? Um, but I sort of got over it after a few minutes. We only stayed for like an hour. And I kind of think like, so my thing is I did something I've never done before. And I did a, I'm, I did a Fire Island summer share with my friends. So I'm going to have at least five weeks basically of nightlife this summer in the pines. And so I'm trying to mentally prepare for that. And like, Mm -hmm. it'll be summer. So I'll feel a lot better anyway, Mm -hmm. but I'm kind of trying to ease myself back in. So it's like, I went to hardware for like 45 minutes, maybe in a week or two, I'll go somewhere for like an hour and a half and have two rounds of drinks. But I just want (laughs) to kind of slowly dip my toe back into the pool so that by the time um, I'm doing this um, for my first weekend on Fire Island, it's not like taking a toll on my mental health and my anxiety. But it's like baby steps each way. What about you, Fran? How are you feeling, baby? How high I do mean, you have to be? Nightlife for me is an anxiety reliever a lot of the time. Wow. So like I go to like blow off steam and to feel better about my personhood and my body. I think that I realized a lot about myself in that like over the pandemic and that I just don't really feel like I'm myself if I don't have like my fam. Um, and nightlife is where we could convene. So to me, it's about like compromises, compromises, compromises. Mm-hmm. You know, we make compromises for the things that we want to make compromises for. And so for some people, it's like I actually it's essential to me to go to the grocery store. It's essential that I get into this elevator, this crowded elevator to get to this place I need to go to. It's essential for me to get on this flight mm-hmm. to go to this family barbecue or whatever. Obviously, these risks, all of these risks at the COVID level are very different. But for me, it's essential that I go to the club mm. and, and it's essential that I see my fam. It's essential that I bear witness to my favorite art form, which is drag. And, and I think mm-hmm. that that is something that we all have to respect about each other because I, I think that obviously, you know, there's no right way to do this. We all have to make a mistake, quote unquote, in order to live our lives, in order to do what we want to do, you know, um, in trying to like navigate the COVID of it all. Um, but I think that so long as we cannot, uh, as, as so long as we can like make our own choices and continue to hold each other accountable in ways that are not toxic, mm. like we don't need to create punitive measures or like bizarre like surveillance of each other. Um, on like, you know, where, what spaces we decide to inhabit, you know, I think that it's like, it's just one of the choices or compromises that you might make. Um, so, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think I've gotten there. I haven't definitely not gotten there yet. And, and I have been out a couple of times and I could not, I mean, I, let's, I'll see how it feels on Zoloft, but like, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't not be aware of what was happening. And I yeah. just like like saw everyone's like breath, like as if it were a different color, you totally. know? Mm. And Oof. it's, I mean, I, t- I, I, I was, my, one of my really good friends had a baby shower this weekend and I didn't go. Cause I was like, I don't want to be inside with lots of other people. I yeah. just, I'm not there yet. And I, we, I really, 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 really want to be there, but it's like, I, I don't know how to get myself into that space yeah. again. It's, I think it's going to be, you know, if, if, 
again, HIV and COVID are such different viruses and such different pandemics. But one thing that we learned from the HIV pandemic, at least I learned and I feel still to this day, is that for many, many years, for decades, um, because of the fear of HIV, it was always in the back of our mind when we were having sex. I mean, for me, for sure. Mm -hmm. Always. Like, it was never not present. And, you know, uh, the risk for COVID is social interactions. So I mm -hmm. think it is it is totally normal and to be expected that that would stay in the back of our minds. Like, it is always in the back of my mind when I'm in a crowded space. It, I, I can still go. I get over my anxiety. I can go. I still have fun. Just like I still had fun having sex, even though HIV was in my mind. I can have fun. But I'm not expecting to to have my body and mind feel like the last two years didn't happen. They did happen. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I guess the way that I'm trying to get back into it little by little, like kind of what Den was saying, is like I just started going to other people's houses. Yeah. You know, like That's right. hanging out with friends and, and seeing friends, going plant shopping, like, you know, just just hanging out with people to just get get a social sense again. You know, it's funny because I'll be like, I'll, I'll talk to my friend, uh, like Jana or Cherry or somebody be like, hey, do you want to get on a call? I'd really like to hear your voice. And they're like, do you want to see me? And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I actually yeah. do. I forgot that was an option. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. the only thing I'll add to what Fran was saying is that I like I totally agree 100% that like no one can live a risk-free life and everyone is going like I chose to do nightlife before I chose to do indoor dining because I don't actually care. I don't like restaurants that much. Yeah. Uh, and I actually like I really really love gay bars. I love gay bars so much. And so like if I have to choose the risk between the two, I will definitely choose to go to gay bars and put my risk there. But it's always super important to just like check out your local, you know, to stay risk aware that like yeah, exactly. going to a going to a circuit party with 1500 people in the height of the Omicron peak when we're having 50,000 cases a day in New York City is a very different risk than going now where we have 500 cases a day. Um, and that to calibrate your risk and your risk to your community and to other people around you based on those types of tough but yeah. real decisions. I just don't understand the appeal of circuit parties in general. But <laughs> if that's Me your neither. essential, I'm not going to judge. You know? <laughs> Although I've always wanted to go and literally just be like a tourist, like just walk around and like take pictures and be like, what's happening? Like, oh, dear, we have <laughs> the mating ritual. <laughs> the mating ritual. The mating ritual. <laughs> uh, North American homosexual. homosexual. <laughs> North American harness gay. <laughs> Do you like getting recognized out at night? Oh, Fran. <laughs> you know you do, Fran. Ooh. You know you do. I just got recognized over brunch earlier. You know you um, do, baby. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I do, and also sometimes I don't when I just want to be like a messy slut, like doing a redacted in the bathroom stall with a redacted, you know? Like, it's like yeah. sometimes I'm just like, oh, don't look at me. <laughs> but other times, yeah, I, I, it's fun. I yeah. I hate it, but if it goes too long with no one, then I'm oh, like, God. oh, something is, oh, something is wrong. <laughs> they, oh, no one true. listens to food you for have, thought anymore. No one listens. You, you have actually texted us before <laughs> when that's happened. Um, I don't mind it. Um, I don't mind it. I don't care for it. Like I don't. I don't. It, I just, it doesn't bother me if it doesn't happen mm. either, but I don't mind it. I just, like, hope that people will, like, let me be chill and have fun right. and, you know, which they they do generally. It's nothing, you know, I've, I don't think I've had a, an unpleasant experience. As a classic Pisces, I hate getting recognized and hate not getting recognized. What about you, Teebs? Mm, I'm very that as well. I mean... <laughs> 
it's why I don't go to gay bars alone because I I um I, I get annoyed when people talk to me and really upset if they don't. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah, exactly. High tops. That is a mood. That is a, that is such a mood. Oh, I feel like when we were at high tops, it was like after somebody said, "Oh, are you the people from?" It was like it's okay to leave now because we were just yeah. like hanging on until somebody was like, "Is are you just food for thought?" No, that's so gross, but actually true. <laughs> hey, especially when we're all four together i mean it just becomes like like bad it becomes bad (laughs) i mean the mess the mess explodes so this week's dessert is sponsored by uh hatred and resentment and that (laughs) you're gonna talk about something that we kind of all adjacently consumed and kind of loved to hate on ish. Yeah. Um. The Netflix, uh, Anna Delvey show. What is it even called? Inventing it's Anna. Inventing. Inventing, inventing Anna. Anna. Inventing Anna. This show just took one wrong step <laughs> and kept making yes! those wrong steps. Hundred percent. She really was like, "Let me go off in the wrong direction." Um, for those of you that don't know, there's this like kind of uh, New Yorker article about a scammer that basically this woman like scammed uh, uh, the upper echelon of like New York society culture and like wealthy trust fund babies um, into, you know, tons of different things. She just scammed tons of different like m- money and like things worth monetary value um, and uh, and got uh, almost got away with it, too. If it wasn't yeah. for you meddling kids. <laughs> exactly. Um, and this Shonda Rhimes adaptation of it, which we all knew was going to happen did not deliver at all on that. <laughs> it yes. took like the most amazing wild story which the the um it was New York Mag and it, like just go read the story. Just go read yeah. the story is phenomenal. Yeah. A phenomenal I believe, research I believe it's and the written. same I believe it's the same author who wrote the the article that became Hustlers. Yes, yeah. this mm. girl must be swimming in cash. Mm-hmm. I uh. am livid though that this Netflix special made the same mistake as Hustlers because mm. Julia Stiles didn't need to be in that fucking movie. Like, her as a character was not interesting to me to the story of Hustlers. And similarly, like, I love this girl from Veep who's playing the reporter. Yeah. Which is crazy that it's the same reporter, but it's just not the interesting story. No, not at all. And And I say that as a journalist. There's nothing less interesting than, you know, trying to find stakes in someone pitching an editor to see if the editor will take the story. Like, there's no stakes in that. That's, like, stupid. There's nothing hanging on that. It was just, I mean, the the acting, because the cast is so amazing. But, like, Mm -hmm. I feel like the the director had one note. Be like, okay, we need more tension. What if you just said what you were supposed to say before, but just said it louder? Just screamed at you. It's like the whole last three episodes, everyone is just screaming at you. It's like the only way to have emotional stakes are to shout. And it's in the accent that Anna does is wild. Although I I kind of like that part. I sort of perversely loved her. Like, the wire is on the way. You know, it just. Like, oh, Zubaya is on all, the way. It's on the way. What? This Pink Panther shit. It's uh, also interesting that the zeitgeist is tended towards scammers right now. And I'm thinking yeah. of the Tinder swindler. I'm thinking of I Care A Lot. I'm thinking of Jen Shaw. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> Jen Shaw. Yeah. Uh, what do you think that, I mean, and the thing about the Inventing Anna thing that I didn't particularly mind that that bothered me about other scammer stuff is that. She was tricking rich people. Yeah. Yeah, she's tricking the yeah. the worst people. I think yeah, that's something that, that culturally we've latched onto. We've we've kind of seen 
scammer articles as this kind of contemporary Robin Hood story of of like someone completely, uh, you know, duping a a, a slightly richer person and it being like very satisfying for us as an audience. Um, Yeah, well, it it shows the myth of meritocracy, right? That rich people Mm. are so much smarter and better than everyone else when they Mm. fall for what is like a truly atrocious scam. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Oh, there's also the story of, um, I think it was also New York Magazine, of the the quasi-lesbian couple who like ripped off a Harvard Law professor and it's like, he's like a professor of Harvard Law specifically around scams and they literally scammed him out of his <laughs> and he literally they scammed him out of his home fuck oh and then God. and then sued him for i mean it's just but it you know it just shows you that these people who are supposed to be better than everyone mm-hmm. are actually just normal idiots like the rest of us maybe even know. more idiots there's something really i feel like there's something really satisfying about these stories like i remember when Kind of, I think even before a couple of these stories were published, when like Fire Festival came out, and like yep. that that story was like really really fascinating to me. I watched both documentaries. Um, it was funny to hear the influencers talking about being influencers. <laughs> um, but I sort of, but it was interesting because that arose. Like I'm pretty sure that. Um, happened in 2017 and a year later when the documentaries came out in 2018 I was like why did I never hear about this and it's because I was away on a writing residency at the time mm-hmm. but I remember fe- by, by, by that point we were one year into the Donald Trump presidency mm-hmm. and part of my feeling and I don't know if this is really valid but like part of my feeling is that this re- this um surge and obsessions with scammer stories really has something to do with like our a sort of collective um feeling of like not having closure on the fact that probably the biggest scam that's been perpetrated on the american people of late is that is him and that presidency or the idea that our entire economic system um or our entire political system in a lot of ways in many ways ultimately is a huge scam that we all do not feel that we largely can get out of or or mm. necessarily destroy like it's all a scam so instead we are we're collectively obsessing over things like Anna Delvey and Theranos, which does have very serious even medical consequences for people. I'm not making light of that at all. And fire and fucking fire festival and these other stories because the one that's really hanging over all of our heads is the entire sort of system that we live under. And but that's just my theory. I don't. Maybe that's not fair. I, I like that theory, and it makes me wonder. Like my whole, uh, I just I feel icky about taxes and i realize why it's like why am i as an indigenous person paying the american government you know right. what i mean Thank like you. I, don't, I shouldn't be doing this <laughs> you should yeah. yes truly now you shouldn't be doing this story all education should be free yes. for all Talk black and indigenous scams. people you gotta, i will hand it to scammers in this one sense they have got to be the world's biggest optimists because yeah. they oh, have yeah. to believe they're going to get away with it. I could oh, yeah. never, I could no, never no, no, have no. that much faith to think that I could get away with something. The anxiety. That's the I think it's for me, it's the anxiety. This person lived for free at a hotel and had no place else to go. And if she gets kicked out, she is on the streets and just like kept living her life. Like, yeah, she's yeah. Like, I have an anxiety about. attack about like opening the damn mini bar. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And, and on that note. <laughs> Scammers. Mm. 
This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our new home at Stitcher. Our producer is the cat whisperer, Alexandra De Palma. <laughs> Meow! Subscribe, rate, and review us five stars on iTunes, or we eat all of Den's lipsticks. I <laughs> know, my ah! God. Can you imagine the constipation? Um, I could use some of that right now. <laughs> Tommy Teebs Pico, you can find me at Hey Teebs, H E Y T E E B S, on Instagram because I deleted Twitter. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com where you can pre order my book, Virology, that once again Judith Butler called Queer Pedagogy at Its Best. And I'm Fran. Uh, you can find me at Fran Squishco on any social media you want. I'm Den Michelle Norris, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Den Michelle and follow my adventures at electricliterature.com mm-hmm. find us find us on instagram as gay sluts who read and join us on facebook and twitter at food for thought pod and finally send your questions thoughts concerns and dick pics to thoughts mm-hmm. at food for thought podcast.com as always that's food the number four and thought spelled how t-h-o-t-h-o-t Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 